The View from the Lane is sponsored by Bet365, and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to a special View from the Lane podcast all about one man, Gareth Bale. My name is Jack Pitbrook. I'm joined, of course, by Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore. It's currently just after nine o'clock on Thursday morning. Gareth Bale has not yet been announced as a Tottenham player. We expect that to change today or tomorrow. Uh, the deal is very, very close. Charlie, what's going on? <laughs> it's getting closer. Um, yeah, it's really, really close. Uh, I think they're just signing out the final details. Medicals taking place. Uh, yeah, there are always quite a few uh, boxes to be ticked. Um, but uh, yeah, it looks for all the world as if it's going to happen, which does just feel kind of extraordinary. Um, still can't quite believe it. But uh, yeah, it's going to happen. Sounds like a one-year loan. Spurs playing a paying a around half. I have a, a few people I've spoken to have said it might be even less than that uh, of his wages. So feels like a really good deal for them. And uh, yeah, game on. James, how are you feeling? You must be having a lot of feelings. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, like every, well, like every growing boy does. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a, in a funny way, and, and this isn't me showing off that I uh, effectively predicted this when we did our Gareth Bale special back in May, but I have always had this feeling that he, he would end up coming back kind of towards the tail end of his career. It just kind of feels like a thing that's happened a few times with Spurs. You know, we've seen it with uh, Jürgen Klinsmann came back, Teddy Sheringham came back, uh, you know, Robbie Keane, Defoe came back, Pascal Chimbonda came back. You know, they all come back. They <laughs> all, all the legends. Back. All the legends, they all come back. Um, so yeah, I just always had this feeling that he might end up, uh, particularly when it kind of, uh, it seemed to have turned so sour for him in Madrid. And it, uh, like, like on a sort of emotional level, I think like, it's probably all been quite draining for him the last couple of years. And I know people aren't like especially sympathetic towards footballers given the money they earn uh, and the lifestyles they lead on, on whatever else, but... You think about it, like he, you know, he he's an elite, uh, elite footballer, one of the best footballers. You know, I, I mean, genuinely one of the best footballers in the history of the game. I mean, uh, that that's quite a broad statement, I guess, really. But he is definitely, you know, one of the greatest we've seen, certainly in this country. Um, and for him to kind of <laughs> to be denied the opportunity to play regular football, uh, I think I think it's quite it must be quite a difficult thing to deal with when you go from being like you know one of the best players or the best player in the Premier League. You move to Spain. You're one of the one of or you know well you're not the best player in the world. You want you're not the best player in that team, but you're one of the best players in the world. One of the best players in that team. Uh, you know you score goals in European Cup finals and whatever else. And to then be marginalised in that way, uh, it's got to be kind of soul destroying. And I think people are a little bit harsh on him. I think I'm just I'm quite. It's a shame that we won't be able to kind of give him like a nice ovation and stuff. You know when he plays his first game. Um, 
because I think that could be the thing that that will motivate him, that the idea that he's going to kind of be loved here more than he was in Madrid. Yeah, he's an easy target, isn't he? And I think like it's crazy to think this time a year ago how close he was to moving to China, yeah. which probably cemented the view in a lot of people's minds of him as being money grabbing, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, he it does feel like a waste, and I think a lot of people had kind of forgotten that he's only 31. He seemed older somehow because it felt like his career was winding down. And I know he's had injuries as well, so maybe that slightly ages him, but he should still have a you know a few years of um, you know, being a really important player for Tottenham. It, I mean, obviously, you know, he's only coming for the year, but maybe if it goes well, you'd hope that there'd be a view to extending that. It's not like Real are going to be desperate to have him back. For more on Spurs' signing of Gareth Bale, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic you can sign up right now for a special price of just £1 a month. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. At first, I think it's a one-year loan deal. Obviously, I don't think Spurs are... I don't think it's a particularly risky move for Spurs. I think the assumption is if it goes well, then, of course, next year, Bale would only have one year left in his current Real Madrid contract, and it shouldn't be too difficult to get that deal done. Um... Charlie, where do you think this has come from? Who, who at Tottenham is driving this deal? So I heard um, you know, from, from a f- quite a few people uh, that it's very much Daniel Levy driving it. Uh, one source said it was Daniel's deal, um, you know, which I think he would be you know, perfectly happy with for, you know, for that to be known. I think he, I was also told he's always had a soft spot for Bale and this is something he, he'd been planning on on doing so it's come from Daniel Levy um, and then my understanding is that it was you know, presented slash told to Jose Mourinho that it was happening and you know the response was kind of like well who wouldn't want Gareth Bale but it wasn't one that he was particularly driving himself and you know a big signing like Bale ties in to hiring Jose Mourinho doing an Amazon Prime documentary you know, uh, signing Alex Morgan you know this is all geared towards making Spurs you know, this big super club. Uh, so it makes sense on a number of levels. And obviously there's the emotional side. But yeah, I mean, that, it very much my understanding is that it's it's uh, it's Daniel's deal. And we've got a lot of questions about how Tottenham can afford to do this, um, given all you know the difficult financial circumstances that they're in. And obviously they had to take a £175 million loan from the Bank of England back in, which was announced in June. But I've written a piece on this this morning. And ultimately, what my piece says is that it's not really as expensive as it might look. So I believe that Spurs' outlay on this is going to be probably under £15 million. So I don't think there's much of a loan fee. Um, they're paying, I think, less than half his wages. So even if they're paying, let's say, between £250,000 and £300,000 a week over the course of a season, obviously they'll be paying him more money than Tottenham are paying any of their current players. It's more than they played Kane or, or Ndombele. But in terms of outlay, it was yeah, it would be less than fifteen million, which in the context of like how a big transfer works is not really that much. You know, I'm not using this as a stick to beat Ndombele with, but when Spurs bought Ndombele, they paid fifty-five million pound fee with another ten million potential add-ons, and then gave him a two hundred thousand pound a week contract, which if it lasted for its full five years would cost them another uh, what another fifty million pounds. So the sums of money involved are actually quite quite small, and in the context of Spurs's financial situation which is that the completion of the Premier League season and which meant that the Premier League will pay the broadcasters a smaller rebate and that that rebate will be deferred means that Spurs actually got their full whack of TV money for last year which was a better outcome than they were were expecting back in April and May Um, 
and then of course they finished sixth and they're now technically in Europe and they're a few games away from the Europa League group stage. So while obviously it is a really tough time financially and Spurs are desperate to have people back in the stadium and Daniel Levy's been trying to find ways to get thousands of fans in, especially in those premium seats back to game so they can get some match day revenue. Like the overall picture isn't quite as bad as feared and for example, you know, that famous, that's £175 million loan that, that has not been touched for transfers. Spurs have been true to their word on that because it was always a condition of the loan that it wouldn't be touched. So the, there is base, there is just enough wiggle room to do this. And Spurs, I think, have been very clever in going for a series of players who are both immediate kind of first-team improvement players while also not necessarily breaking the bank. The other one of which, and I think there's a little bit more surprise about this, based on people I've spoken to the last few days, they found another £27 million to sign Sergio Reguillon, the, um, I hope I'm saying it right, that's the Real Madrid, Madrid left-back who spent last year on loan at Sevilla, was so good at their team that went on to win the Europa League. Um, Charlie, what can you tell me about this one? Well, just just on that as well, I think I, I do wonder as well if perhaps the, you know, things like taking out the loan um, and, and those measures is maybe not so at odds with then being able to do these deals. It may be a slight different way of framing it is that, you know, Spurs are able to do these kind of deals because they do think about their finances in quite a serious way. And I think they were one of the clubs that, you know, really quickly recognised the seriousness of this pandemic. And that manifested itself very negatively in the furloughing, which Daniel Levy thought was a totally logical step and one that all the other clubs would follow. Um, but then also on the more positive side, I guess you see with something like that loan. Um, so, you know, I think they, they do operate in a very sensible way. And that's probably part of the reason why, you know, they have been able to spend the summer when a lot of clubs haven't been. Uh, but yeah, on Reguillon, I mean, that is, an, I, I think um, for non-Spurs fans, so taking away possibly the kind of emotional uh, element of Bale's return. I think if you're looking at that, you know, objectively, um, Reguillon for many is the more exci- exciting signing. You know, a really enterprising, attacking fullback uh, who has really impressed everyone in Spain. I mean, I was talking to Dermot Corrigan, uh, who's our Spanish football correspondent, and he was really glowing about him. Um, you know, that feels like a really exciting signing. And also, you always think about your signings, how much they improve you. And that is an enormous upgrade on Ben Davis, who has been a fantastic servant for Spurs. And I know that sounds like the ultimate damning with faint praise, but he really has been. And also, we were talking about this yesterday, if if they want to play wing-backs, which Reguillon very much can do, and Matt Doherty is a wing-back more than a full-back, you could then play three centre-backs and Ben Davis could slot into a left centre-back role, which I think could be really good for him, especially in the latter part of his career. So, it, it just feels like a signing that's really, really going to improve them. Um, and um, yeah, and again, I mean, he, he's on, you know, obviously on the younger scale, but he is someone who can come straight into the side, which has been a recurring theme uh, of their summer signings so far. James, what do you reckon? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that they needed another option at left back, given, you know, D- Davis has his, has, you know, is a, uh, you know, just calling him Mr. Eddie Eddie is probably damning him in faint praise a little bit, but... I think we know he has his shortcomings. Uh, and Sessignon, I don't think he's probably quite ready to play regularly at left back in the Premier League. So to, to bring in a to bring in a player like Reguillon, I mean, I, I've made that sound Reguillon. French, so that, that's got to be wrong, hasn't it? Um, I, I think that I think that's a really I think that's a really shrewd move, even at that price. Um, uh, you know, we saw in the in the Europa League sort of mini tournament last season how, how well he can perform at that level, and I think the expectation is that he can step up even higher than that. So, you know, given given the clubs that were interested in him, 
And the fact that his relationship with Zidane, a, a bit like Bale, I think is slightly complicated and that's probably a big part of the reason he's he's uh, on the way out. Uh, I think I think that's probably an indication that he's a pretty uh, a pretty good signing. And aren't he aren't he and um, Bale pals? Maybe well, united I, by the dislike of Zidane. I don't know. Have you have you seen this tweet from uh, twenty thirteen? I think it is from Reguilon uh, saying today I'm a Spurs fan or something like that. Oh, nice. And he he tweeted he tweeted a picture of Gareth Bale. Um, I think it was either when he's not. He's not just like a massive Clint Dempsey fan or something. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe. But I mean, he, he, he tweeted Lewis about, Hulby. as a kid, he tweeted about Spurs a couple of times and sort of suggested, I mean, I think it was based on watching like one game. But I think he's, he is or was uh, quite a big Bale fanboy. Nice. I, be- I believe that's what's called a reverse Doherty. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Charlie, where, how's it all going to fit together on the pitch? Who's going to play where? Uh, are they going to be good? Yeah, I've got a piece uh, looking at this actually on the kind of the options available I mean it actually makes a lot of sense you know for, for all the talk that like oh is Bale what they need and I can see that you know maybe there are more priority areas obviously we know backup striker is one but it, it, it really fits nicely I mean Bale has played the vast majority of his football uh, since leaving Spurs on the right I think last season he played 88% of his games uh, for Real there so he slots in in that kind of right forward role Son on the left Kane up front uh, and you know you Moore is probably the big um, uh, loser from that I suppose he drops out the team and I, I know there are a lot of fans who that won't disappoint massively um, so you think that's going to be the first choice front three and then it's a question really of what you do behind that and um, you know bringing in Reguillon does give that option of playing with wing backs you could play a 3-4-3 three, three. obviously you have him on one side Doherty on the other uh, and then probably the Celso and Hoiberg uh, in the middle uh, or, you know, you play a 4-3-3 and you have an additional central midfielder and that could be Ndombele if he's uh, if he gets fit, uh, potentially even Deli Alley, um, who obviously there are a lot of doubts about now. So it is really, really exciting. And, you know, with the caveat that, ev- you know, every game is different and you have to set up for different opponents, yada, yada, yada. Though we know that Mourinho does like to have a pretty settled team. So I think probably more so with him than other teams, it is okay to talk... Uh, hypothetically about what you know your best 11 would be if you think that you know the back end of last season I think Mourinho named the same team five games in a row or something like that so you know we know he likes to do that so it does kind of make sense I mean that Bale Doherty right hand side would be extremely attacking um, and you really would need Hoybier to be doing a lot of work defensively or there might be games where you throw on Sissoko. I mean, he's done that kind of role for Aurier a lot over the last year. He, we know he can do that. Uh, but there are options. And Mourinho's talking, spoken uh, repeatedly about... I mean, he's often used it as a smokescreen when he doesn't want to talk about why he's dropped a player like Ndombele. But I, I do think there is some sense to what he says about uh, other clubs, you know, the kind of clubs that Spurs aspire to be competing with. You have big players on the bench the whole time and he wants that to become the culture at Tottenham so that it's not a massive deal if for you know certain games Deli Alley can't get in the team or maybe there's a game where either even Gareth Bale it, it, it doesn't make sense to have him in the team you know he wants that kind of competition so um he's getting to have that it feels like and once they bring in the backup striker which we think will happen it's not a bad squad i think it's you know there are a lot of options there James, what do you want? <laughs> 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 from, from Spurs um, or just generally? 
I, I, I definitely think that the three four three system makes the most sense um, with those two fullbacks slash wingbacks. Now, I mean that 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 is a change that you just didn't see coming, is it? You know, I, kind of a week or two after the end of last season, you I don't think you would have said that Spurs would bring in two fullbacks of that standard of that quality of that reputation. Um, but you know, we saw three or four years ago, the value of having, I mean, we've seen with Liverpool, you know, the value of having two energetic attacking fullbacks who are solid defensively, but can offer something going forward. And that, that is definitely something Spurs have missed in the last couple of seasons, um, certainly in terms of balance. So, yeah, I, I think I I would worry about playing two of those centre-backs and playing a flat back four, just purely because one... Uh, unless you're going to play Ben Davies as centre-back in a two, which I don't think you can do, you're not going to have a left footer. Uh, and two, I, I just feel like it's difficult to get the combination. I think we kind of had, we kind of touched on this last week with our conversations about the team for Everton. Um, to get a combination of the pace and the uh, kind of reading of the game and, you know, distribution or whatever, I think is quite difficult with with just two centre-backs from the options that Spurs have got. Mm. Um so I, I can see the logic in playing, as you were saying before, Charlie, playing Davis on the left of the three. Um, and then for me, to be honest, I'd probably have Alderweireld and, and Sanchez uh, as as the trio. Uh, but then, I mean, obviously, it's you know, it's, it's who it's who, you, who you're going to leave out in midfield, and you, you do think. And, and you're right; it's a squad game, and you know, it's unlikely that given the, given the volume of matches we keep saying over the first couple of months of the season that you're not going to make changes, but. You know, if you're someone like Ndombele, suddenly I just you want to you want to be playing against the best teams. You want to be in the in the first eleven, whatever anyone says about rotation. And you know, Hoiberg is basically going to have to play. Um, you would imagine, and then you, you can't really leave out Lasso, can you? Because he's he's the he's the crucial player in a creative sense. So yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Ndombele and Deli Ali for, for me. Um, because as you say, that front that front three picks itself, and yeah, you'll have. Lucas and Bergvine at least have a bit of flexibility in terms of playing on the left and the right. Uh, Lamella as well, I think. I mean, uh, quite what's going to happen to him? I do. You do wonder whether like selling someone like that may also kind of cover the the cost of bringing Bale in short term. I mean, you wonder as well if they are to play four at the back and you have those like super attacking fullbacks. If you do need to have a Winks or a Sissoko in that midfield three as well as a Hoybier, because they are going to be having to do a lot of covering because those fullbacks want to play like wingers really and and you do worry then that um you know your your center backs are going to be quite exposed without a greater degree of protection in front of them i mean particularly if uh, particularly if you're not playing Sanchez and you're talking about two people that aren't particularly quick well exactly yeah. yeah we should also touch on deli ali because uh as you as you guys say it sounds like he could be one of the big losers I think of this of this signing, um, Charlie. There was some speculation earlier in the week about whether Delhi might even be thrown into the into the move to Real Madrid. Um, more stories this last night about a row with Jose. What what what's the latest with Delhi and Tottenham? Yeah, I mean, I tweeted yesterday that he had been left out of the squad um, for the trip to Plovdiv, and obviously, you know, there are eight first teamers who have, but. You know, context is everything here, and clearly, you know, he played half a game on uh, on the weekend before being hooked. So it's not like he was knackered and needed a rest. And if we thought, yeah, well, he's definitely going to start against Southampton, so that would make sense to to for him not to travel to Plovdiv, then that'd be one thing. But 
I think realistically, we we don't think that will be the case. So uh, he was left behind. Um, yeah, suggestions that he was part of the Real Madrid deal, which we think wasn't necessarily the case. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've I've heard um, you know heated words uh, kind of at halftime of the game and then the following day. But again, these haven't been confirmed, and you know, some have said that that that's been exaggerated. So you know. We don't know. There are there are different um, takes going around. Maybe to a degree, it's a matter of interpretation. You know, one man's uh, heated row is another's kind of healthy exchange of views. Um, but it does feel as though he's closer to leaving than he's ever been, really, since joining Tottenham. I mean, I know there were those links with Real Madrid a few years ago, but it always felt like he was going to stay. I mean, he was doing so well. He was loved there. He had a manager who completely trusted in him. The sense now is that he you know, doesn't feel that same love. Um, I mean, we know from you know the Amazon documentary, which I... You know, I, I think is is a kind of it's not necessarily the whole truth, but that you know Mourinho calling him the lazy trainer and this sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't massively surprise me if he if he did move on in the next few weeks, maybe on a loan first of all. I'm not sure, but I mean, we we did a big read on Delhi in April, I think it was, and it, it, he's a very curious player. You think like, where would he go? And I mean. <laughs> The, the default, like with all of these players, is to kind of say uh, Inter because they seem to sign everyone from the Premier League. But I don't know necessarily if he'd fit in that well there. Um, you know, and, and if you think, I mean, what what Premier League side would he most fit into? I can't, I can't really think. So, um, and that's not to say he can't be, he can't get back to the level he was. Of course, he can. He's still really, really young. Um, but yeah, I mean, that piece hinted at the fact he's at a bit of a career crossroads and that feels even more the case now, uh, given the way the season started for him. Yeah, I completely agree. It's really hard to see where where Delhi could go because I still, I think the problem that Delhi has is that I don't really know where he would fit in. I don't, re- I don't think that he, I don't know how transferable his skills are in terms of what he's did so well under Pochettino how well that could fit in on different teams and different systems. And I'm sure there's lots of teams that would want him, but it's hard to get a read on what would be the best fit. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he play, he's best as a number 10, and so few teams really play with a number 10. Yeah. Like, you, you really need to be a wide forward, and then you can play for pretty much anyone, you know, or at least have that option. You know, someone like Grealish who, or Madison, who, you know, would like to be central, but they could, they could you can imagine them easily playing as a wide forward in a 4-3-3, whereas like, I can't really imagine Delhi doing that in the same way. And Delhi doesn't create as much as Grealish and Madison, certainly mm. not as much as Madison. Madison's a really good, like, controlling, passing midfielder, whereas Delhi isn't really. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I'm just, I just don't have an answer. I kind of think the answer for him probably, if you're talking about that system, and if, you know, that's very much in vogue at the moment, and that might change, but for the time being, you do wonder whether, like, repurposing himself as a centre forward might be his best bet. Because I know we kind of touched on this the other week, but as you say, it, it's hard to imagine him kind of being a, a wide forward that's going to kind of either go outside the fullback or, or come inside and shoot from distance. Uh, and he probably doesn't quite have the skills to play as a central midfield player, like a number eight or whatever. So actually, you know, given the kind of goals we saw him score in the seasons when he was scoring a lot of goals, when he was effectively playing off Harry Kane, um, not, not as a number 10, but really as like a, a, a second striker, uh, you can kind of see that, that might work for him, but uh, that doesn't feel yeah. like it's something that's going to 
<laughs> that's going to happen at Spurs. Do you mean in a kind of Firmino, uh, that yeah, sort poss- of mould? Possibly a little bit, yeah. I mean, I think he's got the physicality to hold the ball up and to, you know, and we've seen him do that a few times. Um, and I know we've seen he's good in the air as well. Uh, you know, he's got a few sort of scrappy little poachers goals down the years. You kind of think he should have that in him, but I, that just feels like the, the the best of those options for me, for him to become a centre forward. But, I, you know, it, someone's going to have to take that chance, aren't they? Because you put you put uh, you put a midfielder up front in a team, and we saw what happened last season. It it wasn't working, and people were not happy. Well, that would be my worry. I mean, it's such a specialised position. I mean, I almost wonder if he if he would he could do a wide forward role, but in a role where his job is to basically get on the end of things and score. You know, that's where he's best. So almost like a Raheem Sterling, the way the way he plays. Because I think I mean now Sterling. I don't think of him necessarily being somebody who like beats his man a lot. I think of him more just getting on the end of stuff. And I can imagine Delhi if he was in a system where, kind of in that city or what Arteta's trying to do at Arsenal, where you play a lot of patterns and they're geared towards you know picking people out of the back post. I can sort of imagine him doing that because he's never been someone to influence games massively. You know, he has always felt like more of a moments player, and so maybe you know, that would enable him to do that same kind of thing just from a slightly starts from a slightly different starting position. Yeah, I've just been running through like possible options in my head and like I I can't do any better than like him being a partner for Danny Ings at Southampton or a partner for Callum Wilson at Newcastle. Anyway, the, I, another thing I want to touch on is Harry Kane. I'm really interested to see the relationship between Bale and Kane because I think they barely played each other. Sorry, they barely played with each other in the seven sense minutes. that... Seven minutes, brilliant. Seven minutes in, against Pauk in the Europa League. Bale's last season was the season where Kane got his first taste of first-team football at Tottenham, but obviously he'd been he spent a lot of that time in and out on loan. And um, so really the Bale, the Bale era and the Kane era are two completely distinct times in Tottenham history over the course of the last sort of 15 or so years. And that's really interesting because they've never, like Kane has basically been the main man almost, not, not as soon as Bale left, but within a year of Bale leaving, Kane's become the main man and has been ever since. So I wonder how... I wonder how Kane will react to Bale being there. My, so I'm, I'm actually writing about this this week, but my suspicion, and I'm, I might be wrong, is that this is going to be really, really good for Kane because I think there are times recently, particularly since the departures of Dembele and Eriksen, where Kane just looks a little bit like a guy who could do with a bit more support, a bit more, a bit more help from his teammates. He doesn't want to. I mean, he's happy to like shoulder the burden and do the Tom Brady thing, but he needs um, he needs some allies as well. And sometimes watching Tottenham, you think he doesn't really have many allies out there. Like he doesn't have like the rest of the players just aren't really as good as him in the nicest possible way. And having another superstar, well, obviously, will do, you know take some of the limelight away from Kane. At the same time, will hopefully give him a bit of a sense of you know there is someone else out here who's on my level. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see that dynamic play out. What are you expecting, James? Well, it's interesting. So uh, having uh, having mentioned that podcast that we recorded in May, um, our Gareth Bale special, uh, I listened to it this morning and we, we, we kind of talked at great length about how if Bale was in the team, you wouldn't really have seen the best of Kane. But I think him coming in at this stage, as you say, I think, I think that'll work quite well. Um now, Bale has really honed that position as a like an inverted uh, winger out on the right, and I think having him on that side and, and Son on the left will give us a bit of uh, a bit of balance that perhaps has been missing. Um, and I, I think I think what you're saying about the, the Kane standing in the dressing room is interesting. 
Uh, and, you know, we remember seeing in the documentary after the Manchester United game last season where, where Kane is effectively saying to the rest of the group, you, you can't just all like cruise through games and expect me to win it. You've got to, you've got to knuckle down and, and get involved and do your bit. And I don't think that's something that anyone is ever going to need to say to get to someone like Gareth Bale. So I think, you know, it will be interesting to see how he feels about not being the, being the, you know, the main man in the dressing room in a, in a playing sense. Uh, but you know, if, if he ever had ambitions of leaving Spurs and going to a bigger club, then that, that is obviously going to be what happens when he goes. Uh, and you know, I, I think he, he's probably at a stage now where he's thinking, I want to start winning stuff and having big players in the dressing room is going to make a massive difference. And yeah, I, you know, Bale's only there for a year as far as far as we know at the moment. But I, you definitely can imagine that being the case. I do just wonder, I mean, the, the slight flip side of that is that ba- uh, Kane has always played in a team that's basically been subservient to him and everything's been geared towards creating chances for Kane and getting Kane scoring. Um, and it will just be interesting when you've got someone like Bale who his game really, I mean, he's not as explosive as he was, but it's still about getting on the right, cutting inside and you know trying to find angles for a shot and that sort of thing. I mean, he's he, that that is what he's best at. And I think if Spurs are doing well, as you say, if, if Gareth Bale is going to help Kane and get Tottenham silverware, then I think it'll, you know, that's just clearly a no-brainer for anyone. I think it will be if if the results are similar and it will just be interesting to see how Kane feels about having another player in the team whose role is uh, is perhaps slightly more selfish. Um, you know, and you know, he's not going to be a Christian Eriksen who is there you know, who seemed very selfless and happy to just create chance after chance for Kane. And that whole system was about getting the best out of Kane. So it will be interesting to see kind of how that dynamic plays out. And if Kane actually, having always thought he, you know, wanted, you know, another superstar alongside him to shoulder the burden, actually then feels like, oh, I kind of quite liked it when it was just all about me and everything was geared towards getting me goals. But um, yeah, I mean, it'll be just amazing to see them play. So see how it pans out. If there's one thing that makes me feel... I know this has been a really good vibes podcast, but there's one thing that makes me feel a little bit down on this, or not, is that if you look back at Mourinho's tenure at Man United, they signed a lot of really, really good players, um, particularly like big, famous, established attacking players. They signed Ibrahimovic, Mkhitaryan, Pogba, Lukaku, and best of all, Alexis Sanchez in the uh, in the January of 2018. And I think there's, and in all these cases, I know that these are all slightly different, but in all these cases, the hope was that these guys would come in and they would somehow like make Mourinho's football okay. Like they would make, <laughs> they would, they would make up for the fact that Mourinho's football was ultimately being left behind by Guardiola City and Klopp's Liverpool. And, but it didn't really work like that. Like I know United, obviously United finished second. Under Mourinho, they did, you know, they had a better league season then than they did under, than they've had under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But they, they couldn't really bridge the gap that United were, were hoping that they would do. And I think Sanchez is probably the most instructive of these in the sense that he also came, well, when he was, I think he was, probably had turned 30 or maybe still 29 at that point when he left Arsenal. And he was really a complete dud. Like, uh, he was terrible at United and obviously he's now at Inter Milan. And I was just, just wondering whether, the same thing might be true of Bale in the sense that Bale has come with all this, all this kind of expectation behind him and everyone, you know, he's so famous and he's so decorated. And I wonder, I just put that in the context of how bad Tottenham were against Everton on Sunday. And I wonder whether, and I wonder whether one brilliant, but 
aging attacking player is enough to elevate that team from where it currently is to where it needs to be am i being too negative i think it's definitely a legitimate question that you know we talked about this the other day in my piece after the everton game looked at the fact that there doesn't seem to be a massively coherent attacking plan and you know this does tie into uh, criticism that's been leveled at at uh, Mourinho that his teams do tend to attack often with seemingly it looks like a reliance on individuals rather than systems and obviously Bale really ties into that so I mean it will just come down to whether having individuals that good will overcome for the fact that I don't think they will suddenly adopt you know a Guardiola type attacking structure um, so I, I, I do I do see where you're going with it it, it just it completely depends, I guess, on the level that Bale's at, and and there is uncertainty, I guess, about that. We don't really know because he had, he didn't play all that regularly last season. Um, but I can I can see I can see why that's a fear. I guess the hope is just that he he is still at a level far better than say Alexis Sanchez was, who clear who you know seemed to be at a pretty marked decline even before even before he joined United. James, tell me I'm wrong. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, uh, you know, having said it's not much of a gamble in a financial financial sense. Um, you know, what's there to lose, right? I mean, we we know how good a player he is. We know Spurs have struggled to score goals, and yeah, Charlie's right of what he says and what he wrote about at the start of the week after the Everton game. Um, we discussed it on on our podcast at the start of the week. There's a massive issue with the way Spurs are trying to play at the moment in that there is just no there are no patterns of play there is no kind of structure to any attacking play um, and you know as you say it feels like they need individual moments to score a goals uh, and it, to me that kind of almost feels like a solution rather than a problem now doesn't it I, I, you're bringing in an individual player who can score goals from that position it kind of feels like that's a possible solution to me I mean, you know, I'm not saying it's definitely going to work, but I'm saying there's definitely scope for it to work. The other thing I wanted to touch on, which I know Charlie mentioned at the top of the show, is that it's it's just amazing to me how after years of Tottenham being all about wage structure and young players and the project and, you know, doing things very, very methodically and carefully and, you know, build, building slowly but purposefully in one direction. In the last, what, 12 months, we've had... You know the invitation of Amazon cameras into into the into the stadium and the dressing room and the training ground. The replacement of Pochettino by Jose Mourinho, who's obviously like a kind of a, a figure far bigger than the club itself. Um, and the signing of Alex Morgan, the most you know the most famous player in, in women's football, arguably. And now the the signing back of Gareth Bale, and it's just. And I know there are financial arguments for signing Bale, and I don't disagree with the signing of Bale. I think it does make sense, but it's just amazing that kind of almost 180 degree turn in direction away from doing things very, very carefully and methodically to now building the brand around the world, chasing eyeballs, trying to make trying to make Tottenham this kind of glitzy global show which everybody will want to tune into where you recognize the people on the screen even like and that being a goal in itself separate from the kind of the day-to-day success on the pitch it, it is just an incredible transformation it does make me feel something which i've always felt about which i felt more and more about football in the last few years which is that everyone turns into psg in the end 
Like even the club, even the clubs that don't or that say that they don't, eventually think, oh, you know what? Fuck it. I just let's just sign some famous players. And like that is just the di- that is just the direction of football. And you know, I don't blame Spurs for going that direction. And of course, that just fits with what the kind of global market for football clubs and football brands is. But it's just, it's just kind of amazing to see how quickly it can happen in front of your eyes. That is all we've got time for this week. Thank you so much to Charlie and James and producer Tom. Uh, thank you very much, listeners, for joining us on a day which probably weren't probably didn't have in your diary to listen to our podcast. Uh, but we will be back again at our normal time on, I think, Monday or Tuesday of next week, where we will look back on Tottenham's trip to Lokomotiv Plovdiv, which, of course, is this evening, and then Tottenham's actually incre- incredibly important Premier League game away at Southampton, which is on Sunday lunchtime. And hopefully we'll get a bit more of an idea what sort of a team Bale and Sergio Reguillon are stepping into. Thank you.